So hey guys, we're back with another podcast interview, and today we're going to be talking to Roy Young, Roy B. Young, and Roy B. Young, uh, I'm not going to do the heat, the, the B every time, but Roy Young is a researcher, historian, teacher, I believe, pastor at a church, um, and he has, he has really defined uh, history, and I have a little story that I'll share with you. But of course, before we do the podcast and get into it, um, I want to thank the folks over at the Tombstone Epitaph. My friend Mark Boardman is the editor, and uh, if you want to know more about the Epitaph, I urge you to become a subscriber at TombstoneEpitaph.com. That's Tombstone. You know how to spell that, and the Epitaph is E P I T A P H dot com. TombstoneEpitaph.com. I urge you to become a subscriber, and here's why: because one year subscription is twenty five bucks, two years is forty five, and three is sixty. Now, if you do the three year for sixty, Mark's going to leave you alone for three years, and you'll save fifteen dollars overall. And what I love about the epitaph, and I don't know about Roy, but I'm going to bet the same thing. What I love about the epitaph is it's a newspaper, and it's delivered right to your door, and it is chock full of history. There's no advertising, you know, nothing crazy in there. And uh, and Mark is bringing the best of tombstone history and Western history right to your door, and it's a newspaper. And don't and everybody says, you know, when I go to Tombstone, I want to be a part of Tombstone. Well, that's the great thing about the epitaph because you're actually going to get Tombstone delivered right to your door. So I urge you to become a subscriber uh, to the Tombstone Epitaph, and you can do so at TombstoneEpitaph.com. I also want to give a huge shout out and a thank you to the folks over at the Wild West History Association. Uh, I'm a member. I know Roy's a member, and he's oh my gosh, he's a, a vice president. I think I think Roy, when he goes to the to the roundups, Roy gets special parking right up front uh, that says like emeritus or uh, vice president of of all knowledge or something. Do you get a Do you get a special parking spot? No, but I like that idea, and I'll pass that along to the board. Okay, we're going to work on it. But the thing about the, what I love about the journal is, and when I say it's a quarter inch thick, it is a quarter inch thick of solid history. And the paper is a high gloss paper, which means it is going to last for years. And the goal for the, for the journal is, is to be in your book, read it, put it in your bookcase. When you're researching something, go back to the journal and use it as reference and there is so much in here. You know, there's no ads for televisions and cars and makeup and all that. It is 100% history. It's packed full. Roy, you're the editor, right? Yes, yeah. correct. And it is packed full. Now, the memberships or the subscriptions, are, are they're a great price. One year is 75 Two years is one twenty-five, and three years is one seventy-five. Now there's a huge savings on the one seventy-five, and uh, man, oh man, I get the one seventy-five. I just, I just pay that check, and then every day, or not every day, they show up. Um, you know, when, when they're supposed to. It's a biannual, I think. Correct. Not a biannual, quarterly. quarterly. It's a quarterly, quarterly journal. And man, oh man, they are just jam-packed full of history. Now, if you want to subscribe to the uh, Wild West History Association and become a member, I would go to www.wildwesthistory.org. And that's www.wildwesthistory.org. And you'll get everything that you need there. And they got some great stuff. And just read. The saddlebag is there. Oh, my God, it's crazy. So check them out at the Wild West History and that's Wild West History Association at wildwesthistory.org. So um, 
a, a few, actually two years ago, I went to TTR and I knew who Roy was because John uh, Bosnecker had started to set me in a direction because John had, had seen and said, listen, um, uh, I told John, I don't really like Pinterest. I don't like learning photos, uh, history on photo sharing apps. And he said, well, one of the people that I needed to follow and read was Roy Young. And, and so I went and got a book and started reading and was starting to prepare. And then I showed up at TTR and TTR is, uh, the Tombstone Territory Rendezvous. And it's a, it's a yearly event in October that talks all about history and tombstone history. And, uh, sitting about three rows up was Roy Young. And in my mind, I thought, oh my gosh, there is Roy Young. That's Roy Young. And I kept staring at the back of his head. This is true, Roy. I kept staring at the back of his head and I kept thinking, man, there's Roy Young. He's right. He's right there. This guy that I've been reading these books, he's right there. And then he got up and he was wearing a, a red shirt a red button down. And I said, can I have your picture taken? And he didn't know me from, from anything. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll have your picture taken. And he put his arm around me and I put my arm around him. And it was like family. I knew I was in the right spot and Roy was somebody I wanted to get to know, which is why I want to do this podcast because I want you to get to know Roy as well. Um, so you, you've been in history for some time and you not only involved in history, but you're a pastor, I believe, at a church, and an educator, and also a member of the Stillwell family. How Correct. how does all of that come together to become the Roy Young that we know today? Well, it's been a busy life, very busy life. Uh, as you said, uh, my mother was a Stillwell, and so uh, I've been interested in that name since I was a teenager and first was informed that Wyatt Earp had killed Frank Stillwell. And so I thought, well, I know who Wyatt Earp is. I've been watching the life and legend of Wyatt Earp on television since I was a young boy. And um, so who is Frank Stillwell? Has he related? And my mother didn't know how he was related. My grandmother didn't know how he was related. So as a teenager, maybe 14, 15, 16, I'm not sure, I began to delve into uh, the Stillwell family history, and uh, I did a comprehensive genealogical study because I found out there were a lot of Stillwells who were either famous or semi-famous in history. Then on my uh, on my dad's side, the Young family, uh, my grandmother had collected a small library of books that her uncle had written. And his name was uh, A.J. Sowell, S-O-W-E-L-L. And come to find out, uh, her uncle was a famous Texas Ranger and uh, had written all these great books on Texas history. So I had it on my dad's side, my mother's side, and I became immersed in uh, Wild West history. But all of that was because of the name Stillwell. Now, I... Does that mean there's another person that's involved in history, and that's Pam Potter? Yes. She is also a Stillwell. Does that are you the two no, of you related? No, no she's a McClowry. McClowry. You're right, McClowry, not a Stillwell. And are, our only connection is that her uncles and uh, my ancestor were were buddies during that period we call the Earp era 
uh, in Tombstone, but uh, we don't have any familial uh, uh, connection. When you, and I'm sorry, Pam, I had Pam stuck on my head today, um, and we're going to be interviewing Pam Potter as well. Great. When when this was going on in your formative years, um, how did it work out that of all of that, you became a teacher and then eventually a pastor? Well, I was inspired by my high school band director. Um, I grew up in Oklahoma City, went to Southeast High School. Uh, it had one of the premier music departments of the high schools in the area. And uh, I was blessed to have two really fine band directors. And I wanted to go to college and become a band director. But I also loved history because I had been involved in it based on my own genealogical interests. So I went off to uh, East Central State College at Ada, Oklahoma, and started my uh, educational uh, pursuits to become a, a public school teacher and uh, eventually transferred to Oklahoma Christian University uh, because I had been raised in a Christian home. And one of my mentors was uh, the preacher of our church in Oklahoma City. And I just felt like I was being called to the ministry uh, in the sense that uh, I wanted to do as much as I could to, to serve people and to uh, to be someone that uh, could be contacted and talked to and discussions and uh, more than just the, the weather or uh, how bad the Sooners beat uh, the uh, uh, other football team. Gotcha. So, uh, so uh, I, I became a high school band director for 17 years all in smaller schools where I had to teach something else. And so I taught band for 17 years along with history courses. And for about eight or nine years, I also coached the high school baseball team. <clears throat> so all of that's going on. And then living in small communities, there was always an opportunity to preach the gospel somewhere. And so uh, for all of those years, and until five years ago, starting in 1966, I preached for churches for 50 years. Wow, so you've been so busy. It, it all came together that way. Does, and then in the middle of it, you became a writer as well. Did you do the writing, the history writing? Are you still teaching or are you retired now? Or did the, the history part of it really begin as you got older and began, you know, a different life because you retired? Well, there's a little bit of all of that that you just said uh, that is true. Um, I've always loved books. And even when I was in grade school, if there was someone appointed in a class, to be the librarian, it was me. And when I got to high school, I was the music librarian for my school. And uh, so I, I always love being involved with uh, books and cataloging and all of that that uh, goes into it. And um, 
when I first started uh, preaching, one of the jobs that uh, the preacher would have is be putting out a weekly newsletter or a weekly bulletin, as we call it. And so I was writing uh, motivational uh, articles from the time I was uh, 18, let's see, in 66. I would have been 19 when I first started preaching. And uh, writing just became a natural part of that. And uh, I published a book, uh, let me see, 1975 or 76, I published a history of the school band where I was teaching. It was the 50th anniversary, and that, that was actually my first book. A lot of people are surprised that my first book was the history of a high school band. But uh, So uh, writing just uh, came naturally, and... Uh, I delved into it uh, with hardly a break uh, until uh, I retired, and then I really jumped in with both feet. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one period of time when my wife and I were raising our three sons where I kind of got away from history, and then 1994 came along and the movie Tombstone, and my three boys watched it before I did, and they said, Dad, Wyatt Earp kills Frank Stillwell in this movie. Who's Frank Stillwell? So in 1994, uh, I got reinvolved uh, in both genealogy and Wild West history, and uh, there hasn't been a day go by since that I haven't in some way been involved in history. And that brings me up to your, your history personally, because you were involved before Wild West History Association. You were in WOLA. Yes. And you were part of the WOLA NOLA because a lot of the people that I've spoken to, like John and other people that were there during that period, you were there during the combining of both. And you were instrumental in bringing the two together. Were you not part of it, of bringing the two together and creating Wild West History Association? Uh, NOLA, the National Outlaw Lawman History Association, goes back to the 70s. The uh, group called WOLA, Western Outlaw Lawman History Association, was a breakaway group that dated back to the early 90s. Interestingly, a lot of people were members of both, like I was. I didn't join until 94 when I got back into uh, uh, Wild West history. But those two uh, organizations uh, really kept the Wild West history aspects of uh, writing and research and factual documentation alive. And uh, a lot of credit needs to go to NOLA and WOLA both for bringing about what we have today as the Wild West History Association, uh, the merger coming by about in 2008. But how that came about, if you want to go that direction, um, NOLA had a president by the name of Lee Simmons. Uh, He's passed now. And I was president of WOLA. And the two of us became friends. And we got to talking, why do we have to have two organizations? Uh, NOLA was, I think, the biggest with about... uh, 600 members and WOLA was a little smaller with about 500 members. 
but that doesn't mean 1,100 different people because many of us were members of both. Mm-hmm. So it, it was more like 600 members uh, when when you got right down to who is who. And so Lee and I got together and uh, we decided let's have a joint summer meeting. Instead of NOLA going this direction and WOLA going another direction, and sometimes we'd even be in the same state one week apart, um, we thought, let's have one joint meeting. And so uh, we did in the early 2000s, we formed what was called the International Congress on Wild West History. Now, you talk about a highfalutin name. That's pretty highfalutin. But, uh, that's highfalutin. International Congress on Wild West History. And we met in Sacramento, California. John Bosnicker was one of our speakers that year. And we had, uh, oh, close to 300 that came together uh, there for that meeting. Unfortunately, some old animosities uh, surfaced. Because, as I said, Wola broke away from NOLA, some personality problems, people that are dead and gone that don't need to be mentioned. Um, But there was some old animosities that arose, and so we didn't meet together formally again for uh, several years. Now, I kept going to NOLA meetings. Many NOLA people kept coming to WOLA meetings. Friendships continued to uh, develop. And in um, late 2007, there was a real move among what I'll call movers and shakers to bring the two organizations together in a merger. That that first thing in Sacramento was not the idea of a merger. It was an idea of let's get reacquainted. Let, let's talk. Let's see where this goes. Well, it didn't go anywhere for about three years, maybe four years. And then a committee was formed by NOLA, a committee was formed by WOLA on merger and over several meetings and uh, polling the membership of both organizations. It was decided, yes, the time has come. Uh, We're an aging group. Uh, Our audiences are made up of uh, gray-haired and bald-headed people. Whoa, whoa, and, whoa, whoa. You get, <laughs> wow, you're getting personal for, now. Wow. Ex- except for Mike Mayberry. No, no, I'm um, bald and, and, and silver-haired. <laughs> um, and the thought was two organizations can't long survive. We no longer are in the 1950s and 60s where every other television show is a, a Wild West Cowboys shoot 'em up show. Uh, like those of us who are now in our 60s, 70s, 80s grew up with. That was mm-hmm. that was our life. You know, when the TV came on at night, uh, more than half of everything we watched were, were the cowboy shows. Well, we're an aging group, and the viability of two organizations with the very same purposes just didn't seem to be uh, that it would have many more years to go. And and the two organizations survived. So rather than see one falter and die, good people were able to bring the two organizations together. And in 2008, we formally merged mm-hmm. and had our first um, 
roundup. We decided we would call them roundups instead of conventions or rendezvous. The roundup became the name of the annual meeting, and we met that first year in Tulsa, and I was the chairman, and um, we had right at 200. The next year, we went to San Antonio at right at 200. The next year, we went to Rio Doso and did the Billy the Kid thing and had over 300. So it proved from the beginning that this was the right thing to do, and we've never looked back. Well, I'm glad you never looked back because I'm glad to be a member. I I think I joined this year, possibly end of last year. Yes. But it's opened my doors to what's out there in history, including you as a writer and a researcher, you've written some amazing books, and and add to it, um, you've written Cochise County Cowboy War, Pete Spence, the Pete Spence, which was fantastic, Pima County, Arizona Territory Jail Records, Uh, you wrote a book about James Cooksey Earp called Out of the Shadows, Uh, the, uh, the never before told story of Wyatt's brother. Uh, Johnny Behind the Deuce, which I have do not have, but I will get in and read. My book that I'm into now, which is Robert Haviland Paul, The Frontier Lawman, The Territory Years. And then you were involved in anthology, White Earp Anthology, which is like war, the war and peace of history. It's so thick and takes such a long read, but there's so much information in it. Is there anything I've missed out of there? Uh, I did the biography of Judge William H. Stillwell who by coincidence, name-wise, while Frank Stillwell was involved in his outlaw activities in Tombstone, Pima uh, Pima County, Cochise County, the territorial Supreme Court judge in the district of uh, where Tombstone became the uh, county seat of the new Cochise County was Judge William H. Stillwell. Hmm. The two men had not previously known one another, uh, I'm quite sure, because uh, Frank was born in Iowa and Judge Stilwell was born in New York, but they both ended up having a common great-great-grandfather. So uh, one of my books that I'm the proudest of is the life story of Judge William H. Stilwell. Gotcha. Going to have to get it. Going to have to read it. Yes. Yes. (laughs) When Ben Tradwick once told me, uh, uh, I love Ben, Mm -hmm. uh, former historian of... uh, Tombstone, uh, Ben told me he thought it was the best book I'd ever written, so that made me pretty happy. (laughs) Wow, I'm going to have to get that. Now, if they wanted to buy your books, where would they go? Do you have a website? Do you have an email where folks can contact you? If they go to abebooks.com, abebooks.com. Abooks, because that's where I buy my Uh books from is abooks. If you go to the little... uh, icon that you can click that says our sellers or uh, maybe just sellers i don't remember which you can then see an alphabetical uh, chart there you click on the a's or click on the g's or click on the y's well if you click on y young and sons enterprises which is the name of my uh, online bookstore uh, will come up and i've got about fifteen thousand book titles on there including all the books that i've written um 
So uh, in my retirement years, my uh, main source of income is uh, is selling books, uh, primarily on the Wild West, uh, outlaws, lawmen, gunfighters, uh, the Indian Wars, uh, and all of that. But that's where you'll find my books. You can also buy them from Amazon by just typing in my name, Roy B. Young, mm-hmm. and uh, Amazon sells uh, nearly all of my books too. So you hear that? If you guys are on men and women out there listening, uh, you can find him on A Books or Amazon Booksellers, and um, uh, search by typing in the word "young" and you'll get right to it. There's, you have a style about writing, and I, I'm not saying this in a negative way because everybody has a style. You yes. have a style about writing, which is. Your research, like you, you research and you put it in a book form, but it's very deep researched and it's not written like some people write a story around it. Um, it's, it's like the, I'm reading the Bob Paul book. You have to read it slow because there's so much in there that you've packed into a book that if you read it too fast, you could miss something. It might even require yes. a second reading. Is that's your that's your writing style? Is that something that you developed, or did you read people's other books and say, "I'm going to write it this way because I want research history. I don't want a story." No, it's uh, it's my style. I developed it uh, myself because, like the masthead on our uh, quarterly journal for Wild West History Association, it says factually documented articles on the Wild West, and my theme and purpose in writing is factually documented books on the Wild West. And um, I'm not real good at flowery narrative. Mm. Um, in fact, uh, I'm a staff writer for the Tombstone Epitaph, and sometimes Mark will want to rewrite my introduction or this sentence or that because uh, it's a li- they're a little bit bland, you might say. And uh, I, I'm just not really good at writing flowery narrative. I, I'm I'm interested in the facts, the figures, the where, when, why, and how. And sometimes that's a little less uh, um, interesting, I guess is the word, uh, than someone uh, with a talent for writing narrative. Well, I, I don't think it's a bad thing because... There's so much. Like when I read your book about Pete Spence, I bought that. I bought that from you at TTR, yes. and I took it home, and um, uh, I finished a book I was reading, and, and I started on the Pete Spence. And I the Pete Spence is there's almost like two books in one. You have the the book part where you wrote about Pete Spence, and then underneath it, you were putting footnotes in, but the footnotes. And correct me if I'm wrong, if it's not called footnotes. The the section underneath was just every time there was a, a sentence and then there was something to extra study, you'd put a number. And that's done pretty regularly. But instead of making the person go to the back of the book or the back of the chapter, you added it right into the page so I could read about the history, then drop down and read about the footnotes or extra history, I was my head was spinning because I'm like I'm reading two books in one. That's your style. Well, 
I appreciate that, Mike. Yeah, if they appear on the same page, they're mm-hmm. called footnotes. If they're at the back of the book, they're called endnotes. But that just has to do with uh, the placement. And I don't like to give a factual statement without giving factual documentation to that statement. And so my books are uh, are loaded with footnotes. Uh, I'm just about finished with a uh, Billy the Kid book that my co-writer, uh, Kurt House, and I uh, have been working on several years. And it has almost 800 footnotes. Um I don't like reading a book about Wyatt Earp or Jesse James or Frank Stilwell or uh, uh, Billy the Kid and wonder, well, where did he get that? Mm-hmm. What made him say that? I want factual documentation. Um, I've been getting emails ever since TTR about when am I going to write something on Curly Bill? Um, when I do, it's going to be factually documented and not full of supposition. Uh, I don't like to read a book that says maybe, could have, possibly, probably. Uh, those words just don't need to be in uh, a book that is supposed to be dealing with factual history. Now, are there times, are there rare times when you might say possibly? Yes. But if you've got 10 possibly's on a page and 12 probably's and some maybe's, uh, you haven't done your research. You haven't done your homework. You need to quit writing and go back to researching. So that's why I have so many footnotes and endnotes in my books. Well, I appreciate the footnotes because I'm going to talk to you a little bit about anthology. Um, okay. But just so you can get your mind going because anthology is, is, is a whole nother thing. But I appreciate the fact that the footnotes are there because it almost became a second book. When I say a second book, and for anybody that hasn't read um, a book about Bob Paul, there's two that you should read. There's uh, When Law Was in the Holster from John Bosnecker, and then the book by Roy Young, which is Robert Haviland Paul, The Frontier Lawman in the Arizona Years. This one, between the two, they actually complement each other. And the footnotes that you put in the pages... There's so many that I read the book wrong. Like I read through it and then tried to read the footnotes. I actually ended up reading the book straight through uh-huh. and then going back and almost rereading it, but then dropping down and reading all the footnotes because the footnotes were equally amazing. Like there was nothing in there. It wasn't just, you know, Robert Paul born on this date and died. It was, this is where he went and this is where he traveled and this is the person he spoke to. And he broke it all down in the Arizona years. So if you're a reader out there that likes a book that you're like, God, I'm, I, I don't want all this fluff and fancy. I want, I want researched history. I definitely recommend you look at Roy B. Young. And you can do so at A Books or at Amazon and just, you know, search out Young. Um, I want to talk a little bit about White Earp Anthology. Okay. I interviewed Casey Tiefertiller recently. Yes, and Casey said that, and and I'm and I I'm hoping to do an interview soon with Gary, Doctor Gary Roberts. Yes, he said that the three of you came together and had some discussion about, and and this is not a hundred percent the way I'm going to say it is not word okay. for word, but you the three of you came together and decided to write the book about Wyatt Earp called Wyatt Earp Anthology. 
And when you, and it's long may his story be told. And when you three of you decided to write this, you thought it was going to be a simple endeavor. It, and instead, he said it became so much so that you ended up in the hospital, like your eyes were blood or something like that, like your eyes were burning. And he said, it, it, the three of you were wiped out because there was so much there. And he said that there was actually so much there and so much left on the floor, they could write a wider anthology part two. Yes. Tell me yes. about the. Tell us about the process. I mean, you know, we don't have an hour, but tell us about the process of the three of you coming together and deciding to write the most pivotal book, the most, you know, the the book to end all about Wyatt Earp. Well, I appreciate you saying that, and uh, Casey is uh, is right about several of those things you said. Um, every year at our roundups, our summer roundups we invite publishers to come and be vendors or exhibitors. And one that came every year was Ron Chrisman from the University of North Texas Press. And he and I developed a friendship. And uh, one day we were sitting together and I said, Ron, what would you think about a Wyatt Earp anthology? Uh, There are anthologies on uh, um Custer and any other number of uh, people famous in the Wild West history era. And he said, hey, I like that idea. Well, it went on for two or three years. I was involved in this, that, and the other. And finally, Ron said, it's time to do that. And I said, well, I don't want to do it by myself. Uh, I may have a good reputation on the Wyatt Earp uh, field of of Wild West history, but I don't want to do it by myself. I'd like to get a couple of co-editors. And I said, uh, what would you think about uh, Casey T. Fertiller and Gary Roberts? Well, Ron said uh, something to this uh, nature. Uh, There's no two better names in uh, uh, Wyatt Wyatt Earp, Doc Holliday, Tombstone history. So I approached Casey and Gary, and they were both ready, willing, and anxious to jump on board. And so we spent uh, time talking about the format, how we were going to come about uh, uh, doing an anthology. I think we both were thinking of, or all three of us were thinking of maybe 20 articles, maybe a 300-page book. Well, as you know, it ended up being something like 900 pages. And, uh, the biggest book the University of North Texas had ever published, the biggest book that their book binder could publish. In fact, we had to drop out a number of articles that we wanted in there, or it would have been over a thousand pages. But uh, we went through a process where each of us picked articles that we really liked, appreciated, and thought were worthy of inclusion. And, um, Each of us had some that the others didn't have. Each of us had the same ones that the other had. But it was a long process of winnowing down. If there was just one person out of the three that wanted an article in, it took thorough discussion. And finally, after we had our 70 or so articles selected, uh, it it took a vote of two saying yes. In most cases, all three of us said yes, but there were a few articles that 
one of us wanted that the other two thought, no, we won't do those. And there never was any animosity or arguing or disappointment that became evident. But but what you see in the Wyatt Earp anthology, Long May a Story Be Told, are articles that the three of us thought were worthy of preserving, making available to the public in book form, where previously they had been published in magazines like the Wola Journal, the NOLA Journal, our quarterly uh, WWHA's journal, or maybe a regional uh, county history magazine, a historical society publication. We really latched in on articles that were just not ready, readily available to the general public. Um, we didn't do a lot of articles taken from books. Nearly all of those articles, with very few exceptions, came from publications. And since we have put them together into the anthology, people around the world, and boy, the book is sold worldwide, people around the world are able to see factually documented articles on Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday and Tombstone and the brothers that they would not have found unless they were members of some of those organizations that I enumerated. So um, working with University of North Texas Press, um, we had to eliminate about 20 articles that we would have wanted in there just simply because the book had gotten too big. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's why Casey said, you know, we could possibly do a second volume. Uh, we won't. Uh, Casey intimated that I had ended up in the hospital. Well, it wasn't actually the hospital, but I began having um, what they call optic migraines. Oh, wow. uh, I was at the computer uh, and at the desk for so many hours, day and night, that the optic migraines just got hold of me and uh, just about kept me from being able to do my part of the, the work. But uh, all three of us put in hundreds and hundreds of hours. It was a tedious process uh, that, that brought about the final book that you see that can either be used uh, as a doorstop or a boat anchor if you uh, have other reasons besides to own it besides reading it. Well, do you do a, um, do you do a, a Gary Roberts impersonation? No, because <laughs> Casey did one. It was pretty pretty good because I I had not spoken to Doctor Roberts, and then I spoke to him on the phone, and I was like, "Oh my God, Casey is right on." But, yes. Um, when I read anthology, though, I don't read it like a normal book. Let me know if I you don't have to because I read I read it the first time like a normal book, and I read it cover to cover. And then I got down to the, about maybe almost to the end, and I'm like, God, I'm an idiot. Because it's not written as a book to read through. It's almost right. like an encyclopedia of Wyatt Earp. And I pull from it, like if I'm reading about Bob Paul, and there's mentions in there about a specific location that you've written about. Because I'm a places person. I took yes. I took what you wrote, Rhett, excuse me, I took what you wrote, about Wyatt Earp and the Pierce Brothers Mortuary and where his um, funeral was at. 
Yes. And originally it was supposed to be in a different location, and then it got moved to the Pierce Brothers Mortuary in Los Angeles. Yes. And I was like, oh my gosh, Roy gave an address. And then I looked in the <laughs> map book, and there was the address. And I'm like, well, I'm going to go see it. And I drove to Los Angeles on a weekend. And I drove to Los Angeles, not from Phoenix, but I was in California working. So I drove down from like Santa Maria, and which is in the middle part of California. And I drove to Los Angeles, and there was the church. There was the, you know, the, the chapel. There was, yes. and and your book guided me there. And then I ended up, I ended up actually inside the chapel, the mortuary. And, wow. and I've got video of it. The construction workers let me inside. And the long story short is this guy said, well, too bad you don't have a hard hat or I'd let you come in the job site. And I says, well, I'm in construction and I never leave without a hard hat. And I went and got my hard hat and they brought me inside and I got to stand in the very chapel where his funeral was. And I got to right. see the double doors that opened up where his body would have came out and gone out on the street. I think it's Washington Street. But I use anthology as an encyclopedia now. Is, is that the intent? Or is yes, it to be yes. read from cover to cover? Or is it when you put everything together and put all these chapters in by all these different writers, was it always developed so that not to be read cover to cover, but pull from it when you need to. That was our idea from the beginning. Um, now, it is chronological in the sense that yes. the first section is yes. Wyatt's boyhood, his family and background. Uh, and then we, we move through his life chronologically uh, until the very end. And um, there are some uh, places where there's some overlap but primarily we were wanting to be chronological in the story. But if you're interested in his tombstone years, you can go to that section. If you're interested in his years in uh, uh, the gold mine or the, 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 the mining right. ventures that he uh, took, you can go to that section. Um, I don't think I've ever read it cover to cover. I, I pick out what I want to read and enjoy and be refreshed on. And I think that's what most people do. Is there a, cause we have about 10 minutes left goes by okay. fast. Is there a book that you haven't written that sits out there in the back of your mind besides Curly Bill? Is there a book that sits out there in your mind that says one day, I want to write about this person or that place. Do you have that? Oh, yes, absolutely. In <laughs> fact, the first book I was going to write was the biography of Frank Stillwell. Well, and by the way, most of the chapters are written. I'm still doing some research and cleanup and polishing. But that was in like 1997 or 98 that my goal was to get that biography written. Well, his life was intertwined so much with Pete Spence that I broke away and studied Pete Spence and wrote that book, which actually became my first Wild West history book. And boy, have I gained a lot of new information on Pete Spence and needs to go in a revised edition. Well, from there, my next book was the Cochise County Cowboy War, which is a compendium or an encyclopedia 
Uh, in fact, I've subtitled it a cast of characters. And there's about a thousand people listed alphabetically with maybe a paragraph, maybe a sentence, a few with three or four paragraphs that tells the background and involvement of, like I say, a thousand characters who were involved in Cochise County, the Cowboy War, the Earps versus the Cowboys, Law and Order versus Disorder. And the reason I did that was while I was studying Frank Stillwell and Pete Spence, I wanted to know more about uh, who is Bob Paul, who who is Mike Gray, uh, who is Curly Bill. Uh, and so that's where my second book came from. And then before long, I was writing about James Earp and Johnny Behind the Deuce, and it just kept going and going. And Frank Stillwell has never been finalized and made ready for publication. So when this Billy the Kid book is done, and uh, that should be by the first of the year and be ready for publication in the spring, Ooh. I'm going to get that Frank Stillwell book done uh, after almost 25 years from when I started it. Is there a book that you've written that maybe you thought I didn't do it service or I didn't do it right and I should write again? Or are you pretty much happy with everything that goes to print and comes out and you say, this was a great job, Roy? Well, I'd like to redo the Pete Spence book. Uh, it's a little amateurish, uh, self-published. Um, I would say if there's one, I'm happy with everything I've done except uh, except Pete Spence is a little amateurish. I, and and oddly, it's been one of my biggest sellers because uh, it was one of the first to break away from just the Earps and Holiday, the McClowries and the Clantons, and start writing about some of the peripheral characters. Um, Pete Spence kind of led the way, and now we have great authors. Uh, like Peter Brand in Australia and uh, and others who are writing about those peripheral characters and bringing them to life. And what it's doing is, is bringing out new information on Wyatt and Doc and so many other characters, because when you investigate someone like Pete Spence, you begin to find out things that have not appeared in those, in those other books. So, so I'm kind of proud that, uh, the book on Pete Spence led the way into all these books that are out there now on peripheral characters, but I'm a little embarrassed that it's kind of amateurish. And one of these days, maybe when I get Frank Stillwell put to bed, we'll uh, go back and do Pete again. Well, I, I got to tell you, don't, don't, don't hit me when you see me at Roundup in Rapid City. <laughs> I actually really like Pete Spence's book for several Good. reasons. For several reasons. Good. One, the footnotes, which we talked about the footnotes. Yes. One is you were very descriptive. Two, you were very descriptive on the locations of where he visited. Yes. Um, like, for example, he sp you spoke about him living in Sentinel, Arizona, and then come to find out I passed through Sentinel a hundred times when I work in San Diego. And... We're going to go to Sentinel in a couple of weeks and explore Sentinel because the ghost town, there's some remains of the ghost town still intact. Yes. 
Yes. But what I love about Pete Spence is, is it is easy to read. And it may be amateurish, but for me, it may might mean that I'm amateurish. But I really liked it because it was an it was an a spiral bound book, which I like. I like the plastic spires, the way it opens up, and it allows me to fold the pages behind them, and I can go back and forth. But it's a really great read, and at the end, you pack it full of photos. Like it's just, I really like it, and I and my heart tells me I'm going to be back to reading Pete Spence again because he is somebody that isn't discussed in mainstream history. And he is a you know background player in a way, but he had such a major Im- impact on Tombstone and Arizona history. So I-, I just want you to know, like it might seem amateurish, but I love it. Like it's a really great read. Well, I appreciate that. I'm constantly finding out new things about uh, Pete Spence, and uh, when we were at TTR in Tombstone back in October, one of our speakers, uh, Gil Storms had been doing some study on the Power Brothers. And they said, um, he said to me, is the Pete Spence that was involved with the Power Brothers the same Pete Spence that was here in Tombstone? Mm -hmm. And I said, boy, Gil, that's new information to me. And so I came home and began looking into uh, the relationship of Pete Spence with the Power Brothers. So my point is, a book is never finished Right. The story goes on and on. Mm-hmm. And uh, from the minute that you uh, put the end, there, there's more yet to come. Right. So yeah. uh, I'm, I'm glad you enjoy the Pete Spence. And as I say, it's been one of my biggest sellers. But uh, uh, one of these days, I'm going to go back and, and redo Pete. Mm-hmm. And again, if you if you folks are listening and you're like, oh my gosh, I want anthology or I want to read the Pete Spence book, you can do so at Abe's Books, abesbook.com, or Amazon Booksellers, or Amazon and Booksellers. Just go in and, and search out Young, and you'll find Roy B. Young, and he's got a bunch of books, and I urge you to read him. He's, like I said, if you're looking for a factual history, not a fluffy story or a story built around history, but to the point history and right to you, Roy is your guy. Thank you. Thank is, you. Is there something, now this is going to be a loaded question. I wish your wife was on the phone. <clears throat> is there something about Roy that we don't know? Like, Roy, you know, I'm Roy Young and I like pickles and Rocky Road ice cream. Um, is there something that you've not shared in all your interviews, all your books, something about you that maybe the folks in church are the only ones that know or close family that, you know, you really like, is there something about you that may be kind of fun? Like, like I've always wanted to be a truck driver. I do air conditioning for a living. I've always wanted to be a truck driver. And when I'm on the road, I look at trucks and I'm like, ah, I wish I was driving that truck. Is there something about you well, that, that you keep in secret? You know, that <laughs> nobody's listening, just a few people from WWHA. That's it. Well, usually when uh, I'm asked for a little bio- biographical blurb about me, uh, I'll include in there that I've been a, a preacher in the Church of Christ for 50 years. The one thing I don't publicize much is my love of baseball and the, and the fact that I was a high school baseball coach for uh, many years. 
and uh, I've got a whole bookcase full of baseball biographies and uh, the history of baseball. And I love coaching baseball. And now that I have seven grandsons uh, and all but one are playing baseball, uh, it's just a, a thrill to go watch their baseball games. But uh, I was a pretty darn good baseball coach, had a lot of tournament championships, uh, went to the state tournament, never did win the state tournament, but but uh, went. And uh, if I had uh, gone another direction, uh, I would have probably become a, a, a baseball coach in uh, maybe the minor leagues or who knows where that could have gone. But that's the one thing that I've never really publicized. Okay. Will you will you come back and do another hour with us? Sure, oh, sure. That means you had a good time. Do you hear that, folks? He's going to come back and do another hour. <laughs> um, so again, we're going to end this one, and uh, I want to thank uh, Roy B. Young. He has he has no idea the day when he let me take the picture. I have it in my phone. Um, he was very kind and gracious, and uh, of course, I bought books and and I'm reading them now, and I and um, He's just a big, big part of my history, my history, not research, but my reading and learning. And I can't thank him enough. Of course, you can find him at the WW, uh, uh, the Wild West History Association. Wild, I got to say that slow. Wild West History Association. And that's at www.wildwesthistory.org. I really do. I really do urge you to become a member. I, I What I tell people about the History Association, besides the journal, is that it gives you the ability to reach out and touch the history writers. And I don't mean it like in a physical way, but like I've had lots of questions and I've read an article and then I'll I'll reach out to somebody and say, I really want to talk to this person. And then before you know it, you're talking to them. And you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm talking. Like, I can't believe I'm talking to Roy B. Young. And you do that through the Wild West History Association. And um, you become a member and it gives you exclusive access, reading to stuff that you're not going to find anywhere else. And deep research. And as David D. Haas would say, it's got true provenance. And you can do so at www.wildwesthistory.org. Again, that's www.wildwesthistory.org. And I urge you to become a member. Uh, I also want to thank Mark over at the Tombstone Epitaph. Mark is is a big, big influence on me. And Mark has helped me out in so many ways over the last year or so, including this podcast. And, uh, and I love reading the epitaph and getting Tombstone delivered right to my door. That is a huge benefit. And you can become a subscriber at tombstoneepitaph.com. And I urge you to really, I mean, just, just do it. Get that three-year membership for 60 bucks. That way Mark doesn't have to keep, keep sending you reminders and he'll call you and he'll show up at the door, you know, and he'll be like, look, Time to renew, but if you do that $60, get it over with, it's the best way to go. And you get Bob Bo's Bell in the center. How how can you not lose? You get a little bit of Bob in the center of each article. As always, um, do you have a minute? Do you have anything that you want to plug coming up this holiday? One minute. Well, besides the WWHA quarterly, yeah. we have our annual <clears throat> summer meetings called the Roundup, and this year we're going to be in Rapid City and Deadwood, South Dakota, do the Wild Bill Hickok, Calamity Jane, uh, all all of that history from the Dakotas and Montana, and uh, that'll be on our website, and it's open to anyone in the world that wants to come. Got it. Well, I'll be there. 
Um, right. And I can't wait to see Roy, and, and uh, I think they're going to get a bus, and they're going to take us to Deadwood and Mount Rushmore and a couple other exclusive places there in the area. Um, and then at the end of every podcast, Roy, and if you didn't know this, but I urge people to go be good people. Now, my charity of choice is uh, St. Mary's Food Bank here in Phoenix. Uh, please, I, I can't tell you enough how many, how many folks out there are needing some help and needing some love and just needing a little support. So it could be a neighbor, like just bringing in the trash can or feeding the dog or just take them to dinner or fill up their car with gas or whatever it is. That, man, there's people out there struggling. For me, the food bank does helps people. Uh, $1 at St. Mary's Food Bank will feed seven people or feeds, make seven meals. So, you know, if you're looking for a food bank or a charity that 100% of every dollar goes to the charity and doesn't get eaten up by by uh, admin costs, look at a food bank or St. Jude's Medical Center and just, man, just do some good. You'll feel good about it. Man, it's just a big blessing. And um, there's folks out there that need your help. Amen. Amen. So uh, I appreciate you guys a bunch. Uh, we're going to have Roy back again. Um, if you have any questions, you can get a hold of me through my email at hvacreeferguy at gmail.com. If you want to find me all the time, you can do so on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and you can find me at Cochise County underscore travels, Cochise County underscore travels. And that's my Instagram and Facebook page. It's also the podcast page. So if you're listening to a podcast channel and you're like, I want to hear a little bit more history from Mike or what he's got going on, just use a little eyeglass, a little search cue and type in the words Cochise County underscore travels and you'll find me and you'll find a bunch of history and blue collar podcasts that are waiting to be listened to. I appreciate y'all a bunch. Uh, Safe travels, and we'll see you next time.